Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, welcome everybody to week number two of Uncertain Times. Last week we talked about uh, that uh, the media is often screaming, we're in a global crisis. If you missed last week, I strongly urge you to go online and uh, check out last week's message. You can find that at invictus.church on our website. And we talked about terrorism, the uh, war, global economics, politics at home, and how it's all a big fat mess. The economy is, to some people, fantastic, and to other people, it's not what they wish it was. Unemployment um, uh, is uh, at an all-time low, and yet people are, like, frustrated still. The value of the dollar isn't what it used to be. Chicken little might actually be right. The sky is falling. The sky is falling, right? I mean, every time you turn on the TV, it sounds like the whole universe is going to hell in a handbasket. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of terrorizing and, and, and freaks us out a little bit. Uh, the one word that best described our message last week was accountability. During uncertain times, we've got to remember that as individuals and as a nation, we will be held accountable to God. The word that best describes this week's message is worship. Now, that's a much happier topic, accountability we don't like. But worship we like. It's energizing and it's fun and it's exciting. And I promised you at the end of last week's message that this week's message would have a much higher note than last week's did. During times of uncertainty, we need to intentionally worship. But we've got to make sure we worship the right Thing. Look at Romans chapter 1. Uh, last week we read verses 18 through 20. Uh, today we're going to pick right up with Romans 1, 21 through 25. And scripture says this. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines that you can buy at any road to- roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen smeared with filth, filthy inside and out, and all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshipped the God they made instead of the God who made them. We don't often do what people did centuries ago and literally make little sculptures of gods that we worship. But we do worship things that we made or that other people made often. Think of it this way. Worship is intense focus. What do you focus on a lot? What's the most important thing in your life? What's the thing that you keep thinking about? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? What drives your daily work? What are you obsessed with? Whatever you're focusing on, 
at that moment, that's what you're worshiping. Now, wait a minute, that sounds a little weird. I'm focusing on something really negative and awful. And yeah, but your, your worship of that thing is really tied up in another W word. It's worry. No one wakes up in the morning and says, today my goal is to be an idolater. I want to worship a false god. Anybody have that as your New Year's resolution? Didn't think so. Doesn't happen, right? The problem is that when difficulties arise, we find relief in things other than God, and those things, in essence, supplant him and become more important than him. Maybe your career has been the most important thing in your life because you don't want to end up like your parents. Maybe working out has become the most important thing in your life and it gives you a sense of satisfaction and progress and maybe substance abuse has been your God. You return over and over and over just so you can forget your problems. Or maybe influence has been your thing. By getting more respect, you feel more control over your life. Maybe public opinion has been your God. If you can't control what's happening in life, at least you can do your best to make people like you. Maybe that person that you find attractive is the most important thing in your life. You forget your struggles when you're with this person. Maybe counseling, a good thing. And working out a good thing that we mentioned. But maybe counseling has become your God. The therapist makes you feel better. And so everything is about, I've got to just have that appointment every week. That's the most important moment in my life. Maybe making more money. Maybe it's not even greed. Maybe it's all about just having security for the future financially. Maybe you had financial problems in the past, but you've made a decision. No more. I'm not going to have any more financial problems. Money's the most important thing in my life. Maybe your kids are the most important thing in your life. Many times we as parents have a problem. We worship our kids more than we worship Jesus. Maybe you retreat into your problems. You're consumed with worry. You can't change your reality, so you choose to obsess about it rather than trusting God with it. Maybe your hobby becomes your God. It's like a legal drug. It's your escape from reality. So you just keep going more and more and more and more and more and more and more to it until it becomes an unhealthy thing. We all retreat into something for relief from time to time. We've got to make sure, though, that we don't neglect seeking the Lord and that we let the things we retreat into to become the most important things in our life. Before we go further, let me tell you what I'm not saying. First of all, I'm not saying that things like hobbies and self-care, working out, uh, and counseling are bad. Those are some examples in this list that are actually good things. I'm not saying loving your kids and loving your spouse are, is a bad thing. Those are good things. But they aren't enough without Jesus. Jesus has to be first. Your list of priorities ought to look like this. Jesus first, spouse second, kids third, and then everything else is negotiable. Oftentimes we get those things messed up and then our life becomes disastrous. 
Let me tell you what else I'm not saying as I go through this list. I'm not saying that God is some kind of a cosmic vending machine. If you pray, you're going to get what you want. And so that's what's going to relieve, you, relieve your stress. That's not the way it works. I'm also not saying that he's a cosmic lottery. That if you pray more, it's like getting more lottery tickets and you're more likely to get the answer you want. That's not how God works. He's God. Period. We don't worship him because he gives us what we want. We worship him because of who he is. He is worthy. He is all-powerful. He is all-loving. He is, is all-knowing. He has created everything. He is in control even when things feel out of control. When it feels like we are in uncertain times, we can be certain that he will not let us down because he is God. That's why we worship him. Not because he gives me candy or a new iPhone or a Lexus or a bigger house or a better job or success on my keto diet. We worship him because he is God. So let's talk about how we overcome difficulties, how we push through difficult times and use worship as one of the most powerful tools to help us with that. Now, before we go on, I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if you worship God, all of a sudden all your problems are going to go away. This is not a self-help message. This message is not about you. It's about Him. It's about the worthiness of God. But when you focus on Him, you're going to see your problems seem to diminish. They don't always go away, but they seem smaller, more bearable, and you're able to survive them. Some of you are going to go to your grave still battling the problems you're facing right now. All of us are going to go to our graves still battling some kind of problem. It's the nature of this world. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus made that promise. He didn't say in this world, I'm going to make everything fantastic for you. Somebody preaches that, they're liars. It's not in Scripture. The Bible is clear. This world is broken because of sin, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. The Lord gives us what we need to push through, work through, our problems and become the people he wants us to become in the process. So let's talk about how do we overcome? And overcome doesn't mean your problems go away. Overcome means you're able to survive through them. Sometimes they do go away, sometimes they don't. I just want to be clear on what overcome means. So how do we overcome? Here's what we got to do. During uncertain times, write this down. Re-examine our perspective. We have to re-examine our perspective. Ask yourself the question right now, because when I asked it a minute ago, what are you focusing on all the time? Something popped into mind. Ask yourself, am I focusing on the right thing? Am I focusing on the right thing? God is like a zoom lens. I find that when I'm in a slump, 
I find myself fixating on something that I don't like about myself, that I don't like about somebody else, or that I don't like about my circumstances. And I focus on that rather than focusing on God. And it always, always, always gets me down. I got to be honest with you. I struggle with anxiety and depression. And anxiety attacks are those things that, man, they are awful. If you've never had an anxiety attack, you don't know what it's like. Don't look down on people that struggle with anxiety. It is awful. And until you've experienced it, you don't get it. Those people are going through something you maybe haven't gone through. And maybe you'll go through them one day and then you'll understand. Man, it is difficult. But what happens is when I'm in the middle of those circumstances and that anxiety attack is weighing me down, my mind seems to naturally go to the bad stuff. And I ruminate on it and I focus on it. And then I find myself being, feeling terrible. And at seasons of my life, so focused on it that it led to deep depression and suicidal thoughts. It's difficult. And I'm here to tell you from experience... It doesn't work. I'm also here to tell you I haven't mastered this. I'm preaching to Alan right now. I have to re-examine my perspective when I'm in the middle of this junk. What I have to do is I have to zoom out. Because I'm zooming in with a microscope looking at all the tiny little negative details rather than zooming out and looking at the big picture from God's Perspective. You see, he sees everything in light of eternity. He has a big perspective. And your very intense problem right now to him is just a blip on the radar. It's tiny and it's momentary. Zooming out and refocusing on the bigger picture is an important thing to do. And worship is one of those skills and one of those things that we practice that helps us zoom out. Worship is refocusing from what's wrong with you and your circumstances and focusing instead on what's right with God. I want you to write this down. Don't let what's wrong with your life keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Don't let what's wrong with your life keep you from worshiping what's right with God. No matter how hard the circumstances may be, no matter how shameful you might feel about what you've done and how you just berate yourself and beat yourself up, God still loves you, and that makes him worthy of worship. When you hate yourself, he doesn't hate you. When somebody else hates you, he doesn't hate you. When you're ashamed of yourself, He's not ashamed of you. He loves you and he wants you and he died on a cross for you. And that makes him worthy of worship. When you look at yourself from his perspective, you zoom out and you see yourself in the eyes of God. Instead of seeing someone who is worthless, you see someone who is priceless. Someone who was worth the life of Jesus. God's perspective makes things more bearable. Don't let what's wrong with life stop you from worshiping what's right with God. I want to share with you an interesting fact. A study of Olympic medalists, you know, the best athletes in the world, 
found that bronze medalists, the third place winners, are much happier than the silver place medalists, second place people. Well, that seems weird, doesn't it? Because second place is better than first place, right? This sounds counterintuitive, but when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Because what happens is the difference between the bronze medalist and the silver medalist is what they are focusing on. The silver medalist is focused on, I just missed first. And they live with regret for coming in second place. The bronze medalist is thrilled. I got up on the stand. Woo! I want a medal. <laughs> I almost didn't get anything. Their perspective is totally different, but their circumstances are almost the same. Have you ever noticed that two people can go through the exact same circumstance and one person is handling it incredibly well, the other person is like ready to slit their own throat. Why? Because of focus. What we focus on determines how we feel. And worship is the best way to focus on the right things. That's why we've got to re-examine our perspective. But it's not just to, to change the way that we think. It's not just to re-examine our perspective. We actually then have to like reboot our brains. So I want you to write this down. We've got to reset our perspective. This is changing the way we think so that it changes the way we live. We've got to reset. Turn the broken brain computer off let it reboot. Sometimes it takes a few minutes if you're still running Windows 95 in your brain like I am. <laughs> takes a while to boot up, but then all of a sudden, okay, I can, in this moment, begin to rise above my circumstances and focus on the Lord. What, what kind of person do you tend to be when things aren't going well? There's really three kinds. There's whiners when things aren't going well. They complain and they moan and they, they often try to put a positive spin on things by making suggestions. That's their nice way of whining. But really what they're telling you is, I don't like this. What do you tend to focus on when you don't, when things aren't going the way you expect them to go on? What's wrong? And do you whine about it? The second kind of person is a worrier. They don't do anything but fret. They are like, to them, worrying is an Olympic sport. I'm going to get the gold in worry by just freaking out all the time. And, and they're chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. They, they, they sometimes will try to put a positive spin on things by acting. They pretend everything's all right but it's really not. So there'll uh, be people like, and this is not to shame you if you're one of these people, but doomsday preppers, they tend to be kind of worried, and so they're super-duper prepared. Now, being prepared is not a bad thing. That's okay. But if the reason you're prepared and you have nine months' worth of uh, dehydrated goat liver in your basement and 9,000 rounds of ammo 
and a couple truckloads of water, that's okay. But if the reason you have that is because you're scared to death all the time, you're a worrier. Now, you may not be a doomsday prepper, but you're still finding yourself being a professional worrier all the time. The third kind of person when things go wrong is the person who's a worshiper. The person who says, I'm giving up all my worries and all my opinions to the Lord. They seek to trust God above all else. They seek God because of what He's like. And what He's like reminds us that He can be dependent on. There isn't much circumstantial difference between these kinds of people. Whiners always find a reason to complain. Worriers always find a reason to be uneasy. But worshipers always find a reason to praise God. They simply have a different perspective. They've reset their perspectives. What's your default setting? When problems come, do you say, oh, good God. If you say it like that, you're, you're a whiner. You're complaining. Oh, good God, that happened again. Good Lord, what are we going to do about that? If you're a worrier, it's, oh, good God. You've got to go change your, depipe, your, your depends, your depiper. That's a new word. Adult diaper. You've got to change your pants because you're scared. Oh, good God, <laughs> I ran out of gas. Or do you say, Oh, good God. You are good. And you are in control. And this right now stinks, Lord. It got my attention. It's got me scared. It's got me mad. But you've got my heart. So I surrender it all to you. I, your pastor, the guy on platform who's supposed to have it all together, tend to be a whiner and a worrier. And I am working on resetting this broken brain and having a default setting of worshiper. Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl wrote Man's Search for Meaning. In that book, he tells a story about how everything was taken from him as a Jewish prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. His clothes were taken, his belongings, his pictures, even the Jews' names were taken away from them and they were replaced with a number that was tattooed on their arms. And Frankel wrote this, everything can be taken from a man but this one last thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. He chose to see what was good when everybody he knew around him was starving and being gassed and being burned and being shot and being tormented and tortured. 
The most important choice that you make every day is your attitude. Your initial attitudes are far more important than your circumstances. Your circumstances might feel overwhelming, but you have to understand the most important thing when things go wrong are not the circumstances, it's how you respond to them. How we feel, believe it or not, is not circumstantial. It's perceptual. Your feelings are determined by how you see your circumstances. If you're a whiner or a worrier like me, we tend to see our circumstances through a terrible light and we begin to focus on the wrong thing. Does complaining or controlling things have the power to bless your life? No. Does worrying have the power to bless your life? No. It has the power to give you ulcers, anxiety attacks. The Lord is the one who has the power to bless your life. So focus on Him. Look to Him. I want you to watch this short video. It's a story about a man named Horatio Spafford. And he wrote an old hymn called It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio Spafford was a well-known businessman and lawyer in Chicago during the 1860s. However, in 1870, things started to go wrong. Horatio's only son was killed by scarlet fever at the age of four. A year later, it was fire rather than fever that struck. Horatio had invested heavily in real estate on the shores of Lake Michigan. In 1871, every one of those holdings was wiped out by the Great Chicago Fire. Aware of the toll that these disasters had taken on the family, Horatio decided to take his wife and four daughters on a holiday to England. So the Spaffords traveled to New York from where they were to catch the French steamship Ville du Havre across the Atlantic. Yet just before they set sail, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to delay. Not wanting to ruin the family holiday, Spafford persuaded his family to go on as planned. He would follow on later. With this decided, Anna and her four daughters sailed east to Europe while Spafford returned west to Chicago. Just nine days later, Spafford received a telegram from his wife in Wales. It read, Saved Alone. On November 2nd, 1873, the Ville du Havre had collided with the Lockern, an English vessel. It sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 people, including Horatio's four daughters. Upon hearing the terrible news, Horatio boarded the next ship out of New York to join his bereaved wife. During Horatio's voyage, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge. A careful reckoning has been made, he said. And I believe we are now passing the place where the Ville de Havre sank. Horatio then returned to his cabin and penned the lyrics of the great hymn, It Is Well. The words which Spafford wrote that day came from 2 Kings 4.26. They echo the response of the Shunammite woman to the sudden death of her only child. Though we are told her soul is vexed within her, she still maintains that it is well. And Spafford's song reveals a man whose trust in the Lord is as unwavering as hers was. It would be very difficult for any of us to predict how we would react under circumstances similar to those experienced by the Spaffords. 
But what we do know is that the God who sustained them would also be with us. could fly high because he knew God would get him through. In other words, his attitude determined his altitude. How high he could fly was determined not by his circumstances, but how he viewed them. Your attitude determines your altitude. I want to look at Acts chapter 16, and then we're going to wrap things up. Acts 16, 22 through 34. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Paul and Silas were in prison. What do most people in jail do? They all have a common story. I'm wrongfully accused. Not my fault I'm in here. It was that crooked cop. Somebody else did it. I'm a victim of the judicial system and prejudice and, you know, that kind of thing. But these guys who were in prison were singing hymns to God. Suddenly there was a great earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had all escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself because he knew if I don't off myself, the Roman government's going to off me and it's probably going to be a lot worse than what I could do to myself. I've lost all these prisoners. I'm toast. He's getting ready to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, don't do it. We're all here. Trembling with fear, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with your entire household. Then they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who believed and all who lived and... (laughs) They shared, I can't get the words out. They shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. That same hour, the jailer washed their wounds, and he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Then he brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Paul and Silas had every reason to worry and complain, but instead they worshipped. The circumstances you complain about and worry about become the chains that imprison you. And worship is the way out. Worship reframes your problems and refocuses your lives. It helps you get through the bad days by reminding you of how good God is. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church Podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. 
We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.